Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. But before I begin reading this passage of scripture, let me give a brief overview. Chapter 3 begins with the healing of a man who had been born lame. He had never walked, that is, until he encountered Peter and John. If you remember, Peter and John had spent three and a half years with Jesus. They had watched him heal multitudes of people from all kinds of physical maladies, sicknesses, demon possession, and he even raised people from the dead. In the midst of his ministry, Jesus gave the disciples the authority to do the same things. And then he sent them out two by two for the beginning stages of their own ministry. Jesus had taught them well by word and by example. Then Jesus died and he was buried and he rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven. Keeping his promise on the day of Pentecost, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit who filled all of the believers in the upper room in Jerusalem with power. And when the Holy Spirit came, everything changed. Peter, who had once been one who would speak before thinking, now became a powerful preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In keeping with the daily pattern of their lives, which was to spend time in prayer every afternoon at three o'clock, Peter and John went to the temple. But as they approached the temple, specifically at the Gate Beautiful, they saw a beggar. For more than 20 years, this man's friends had brought him to the temple and placed him outside of the Gate Beautiful to beg from those who were either coming or going to the place of worship and prayer, hoping for an extra measure of generosity. Do you think that it was by chance that Peter and John came to this gate specifically? No, I don't think so. Like so many times throughout Jesus's ministry, this was a time of special appointment. The Holy Spirit had guided them there and they saw this man. Speaking to him, Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this man did. In fact, scripture says that he went walking and leaping and praising God. And taking hold of Peter and John, he walked into the temple courtyard for the first time in his life. How great his joy must have been. But, of course, as so often happens, whenever God does a wonderful and mighty work, opposition arises. And this day was no exception. So let us read our passage for today. Chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. 
being greatly disturbed that they had taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As we see, immediately Peter and John, the healed man, and the crowd who had gathered around them, they were approached by the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. They were not happy at all. What was their complaint? Verse 2 tells us that it was because Peter and John had been preaching to them about the Jesus who rose from the dead. So why was the resurrection of Jesus such a big deal to this angry group of religious leaders? It is because the Sadducees, who had control over the temple area, did not believe in the doctrine of resurrection. In fact, the Sadducees denied that mankind was a personal spirit, that angels were personalities, and that there is no resurrection from the dead. Dr. John Stott gives us an even greater insight into their beliefs. He writes this, they were the ruling class of wealthy aristocrats. Politically, they ingratiated themselves with the Romans and followed a policy of collaboration so that they feared the subversive implications of the apostles' teaching. Theologically, they believed that the Messianic age had begun in the Maccabean period, so they were not looking for a Messiah. We should also take note that the captain of the temple was also a Sadducee. He was captain of what? Captain of the temple guard, the soldiers, the same soldiers who had come to arrest Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. So these religious and political leaders that came to question Peter and John were most probably eyewitnesses to the trials 
and crucifixion of Jesus. We are told that when these religious leaders came to Peter and John, in an effort to silence them and their preaching about the resurrection of Jesus that we previously read in chapter three, they arrested these two men. What was their crime? Well, on the surface, it was for the healing of a lame man. At its core, it was all about Jesus. Peter had been preaching to them about the fact that they had crucified their Messiah, the Son of God, and that they needed to repent of this sin and acknowledge that Jesus is everything he said that he is. They thought that they could silence the message and stop the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they were wrong. Years later, just before his death, Paul would write a letter to Timothy, the one who would take over Paul's ministry. And this is what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. You see, even though Peter and John were put in chains and in prison overnight, thinking that they could put a stop to their message and intimidate the apostles into submission, these religious leaders were wrong. Verse 4 of our passage says that many of those who heard the word that Peter had preached before his arrest Many of those believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So, the number of believers started with 120 in the upper room. Then the church grew to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And now, just a few days later, the church had grown to 5,000 men. And of course, you need to add in women and children to that number as they would be part of the households, but not included in the count. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, a Gentile, anyone who is not a Jew, which would include you and me. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 22 through 24, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God.
So, the next day, Peter and John were brought to stand before many dignitaries. They were the rulers, elders, scribes, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, members of Anna's household, and other members of his household as well. These men would have been at Jesus' trials. Now let's take a look at this day that Jesus stood before them, as it's recorded in John chapter 18. Scripture says this, The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And then later they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And so we have this, this uh, group of religious leaders who want to keep the letter of the law without practicing the spirit of the law. And now, once again, they um, are standing as judges in a trial. I wonder if they were thinking about that, that, that night that they spent with Jesus as they waited for Peter and John to be brought to them. They would have been familiar, familiar with who Peter and John were and, and what they were teaching. That they thought that they had solved the problem by having Jesus killed without realizing that it only fueled the fire and helped to promote the gospel message. So they knew that they needed to take things to the next level. They questioned Peter and John asking, by what power or by what name have you done this? They thought they were going to make Peter and John tremble. But what they did was open up a door of opportunity for Peter to share the truth about Jesus once again. And Peter seized that opportunity with great boldness, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter began to preach to these religious leaders and all who were gathered to listen the testimony of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection from the dead. Let's read it again. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone nor is there salvation in any other. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Indeed, these are powerful words. You will notice that throughout the book of Acts, and actually throughout the entire New Testament, the message of the resurrection of Jesus is always a part of the message of the gospel of Jesus. Without the resurrection, we indeed would be without hope. The Apostle Paul explains this powerfully in his first letter to the church in Corinth. In chapter 15, he writes this, beginning with verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Once again, Peter emphasizes that they were responsible for crucifying Jesus. And once again, he makes the point that it was God himself who raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, it was in the power of the name of Jesus and faith in Jesus that was responsible for the healing of this man who had been born lame. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 22, we will read that the man who had been healed was over 40 years old. This was not by accident. There had been no sudden adjustment in his situation whereby he would naturally be able to rise up and walk. No, this was a miracle, a miraculous healing of a man who had never walked. For more than 40 years, he had never walked. And now he was walking and leaping and praising God. No longer did he need to ask his friends to carry him home. He would walk home with them. He could walk to the market. He could climb a mountain. He could stand in the sanctuary with hands lifted high to praise the one who had healed him, who had given to him great joy to worship Jesus. 
In his sermon, Peter also quoted a verse from Psalm 118, verse 22 specifically. And this is a passage that is quoted often in the New Testament, and understanding it is key. Dr. Harry Ironside provides an excellent explanation, and I'd like to read it to you. Uh, it's a little bit long, so just bear with me, but I think that you will find it very interesting. Dr. Ironside writes this. Then Peter directs their attention to a passage in the 118th Psalm, the Psalm to which our Lord Jesus Christ had referred them before he was crucified. Peter says, speaking of the risen Christ, this is the stone which was set at naught of your of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. At the risk of repeating something I have said on other occasions, let me remind you that the Jews had their own explanation of this. Understand me, I'm speaking only of a legend, but it is a very illuminative. The story goes that when the Temple of Solomon was in the course of construction, all the stones set up from the quarry below were practically of the same size and shape. But one day a stone was found different from all the rest, and the builder said, there is no place for this stone. There must be a mistake. So they rolled it to the edge of the cliff and tumbled it down into the valley of Kidron below the temple area. As the years went on, Solomon's temple was seven years in building, they were finally ready for the chief cornerstone. So they sent down the order for it, and they were told, you must have it there, we sent it to you long ago. Their search proved fruitless. And then an old workman said, I remember now, there was a stone different from the rest, and we thought there was no place for it, and tumbled it down to the valley below. So, as the story tells us, they went down to the Valley of Kedron, where they found the stone, now covered by lichens and debris, the very stone the builders rejected. So now they had to hoist it up to the top of the cliff, then back to the platform and put it into place. It fitted perfectly. The stone the builders rejected had become the headstone of the corner. Every Jew knew that story and knew what Peter meant when he said, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has, is become the head of the corner. Jesus was God's anointed and you rejected him, crucified him, but God has raised him from the dead and in resurrection has made him the chief cornerstone of the new temple he is building. The church spoken of in Matthew's gospel, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And now Peter drives home to them that it was Christ or nothing, Christ or judgment, Christ or hell, no other way to be saved except through Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Oh, I wish I could shout that loudly enough to be heard from one end of the earth to the other. None but Christ, God's only Savior, 
His precious atoning blood is the only remedy for sin. Have you trusted him? And that last question of Dr. Ironside is my own question. Have you trusted him? Well, let me present one last thought. Peter said that salvation is only in Jesus Christ. For he said in verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Billy Graham, that great preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ said this, your salvation is a free gift made possible only because God planned it. Christ paid for it and the Holy Spirit assures you of it. Salvation is always good news. It is news of God's love and forgiveness, adoption into his family, fellowship with his people, freedom from the penalty of sin, liberation from the power of sin. Is it not arrogance or narrow-mindedness to claim that there is only one way of salvation or, or that the way we follow is the right way? I think not, after all. Do we fault a pilot for being narrow-minded when he follows the instruction panel while landing in a rainstorm? No. We want him to remain narrowly focused. And so Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It is written in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus, the wonderful name of Jesus. Don't you just love it, my friend? In Jesus, we can and do receive everything that we need for life and for godliness, just as the Bible says. There is a passage in the book of Philippians that I love to read as it so beautifully describes in just a few short verses just who Jesus is and what he has done because of his great love and mercy towards us. It reads this way. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you this. Who is Jesus to you? You know, at one point in his ministry, Jesus asked his disciples, 
who do, you, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So let me ask you again, who is Jesus to you? Heavenly Father, the answer to that question makes all the difference for all of eternity. For if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then we have received through him the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of everlasting life and every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus. And we will see our beloved Lord face to face throughout all eternity and we will dwell together. But Lord, if we reject Jesus as Lord and Savior, if we turn away from him, if we never consider him, then there is an eternal destiny that is terrible. For your word says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages of sin is death, and that death finds its ultimate reality in hell. And you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The word repent, O Lord, is a gift. You call us to yourself. You draw us to us, to yourself. You have loved us so much that you gave to us your only begotten son to pay the price for our sins. So Lord, I just pray that those who are listening, Lord, might fully receive this wonderful gift, gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of salvation, the gift of a savior and a Lord and a, who is our constant companion And with, with that, the promised Holy Spirit and all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, I pray that we will put you first in our life, that we will humble ourselves before you and seek your face and call upon your name. Lord Jesus, do a mighty work in our hearts today and continue to reveal yourself to us that we might know you more and more, that we might love you and faithfully serve you all the days of our life. And I ask for this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Well, until next time, my friend, may God richly bless you and may he continue to teach you and fill you with the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you, my friend.